In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Rulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Later on the show tonight, I'll be joined by a special guest, Raha Dixon, who has an exciting project that she will be sharing with you, the inspiration behind it, and how it's very relevant to uh, what is happening in Iran and the um, anniversary of the killing of Maso Amini, which we just commemorated. And to all of you that were at the protests in Los Angeles and around the world, happy to see you out there. And I hope we will continue our support for the people of Iran and Looking forward to talking about Raha, about how she's uh, bringing awareness about what has happened in the past and what continues to happen in Iran and what we can try to do about it. Um, in the first segment, I'll get into the books of the week. The book for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is Seven Games by Oliver Roeder. Seven Games. And this book actually is looking at seven classic games, things like chess um, and other meaningful games throughout history and kind of looking at how they've impacted society and the history of those games seemed interesting so i thought i would uh, check it out look forward to reading it and sharing it with you next week the book of the week from last week that i'll be talking about tonight is roots in iran stories of visionary women by yasmin mahdavi roots in iran stories of visionary women and uh chose this book um, wanted to read it, but especially because of, as I mentioned, it was just the one-year anniversary of the killing of Masa Amini, and so I uh, wanted to see uh, if I could find a book specifically about Iranian women and the um, incredible things they've, the successes they've also had. We, we're going to talk more about some of the tragedies, ways that uh, Iranian women have been um, jailed and hurt and even killed by the government of Iran. Uh, in this first segment, I'll share some stories that were in this book about Iranian women who have achieved great things and successes and who all have roots in Iran. Often they left Iran um, to achieve their dreams or to be able to accomplish what they did. Uh, I did not realize it when I ordered the book, to be honest. It seems more directed towards younger adults, even teenagers. So the author herself, Yasmin Mahdavi, she was born and raised in Iran. And she left Iran when she was around 12 years old. And she says she wrote this book um, in a way to her own 13-year-old self and also to inspire other young Iranians. I enjoyed the book. I think also it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It's uh, inspiring stories of Iranian women that you'll likely find very interesting. And so the, the first half of the book has these longer profiles on a few different individuals. And the last part of the book has these shorter snapshots of some individuals who have inspirational stories and have accomplished something great. One of the first ones that comes up is Jasmine Morbelli, who um, is actually currently in outer space, which I think is really cool. So this book came out in 2021, and I just looked before the show because uh, she mentions her life story of what she went through educationally and uh, hardships she faced, but then eventually that she 
became a part of NASA's uh, astronaut team. But at the time of this writing, it seemed like she hadn't gone into space, but it seems that she currently is in space on the International Space Station, which I think circles the Earth every 90 minutes or so. So you can actually wave to her. You can go online and find where the space station is and see it passing by, kind of like a satellite. But she's currently there, and so if you go on her Twitter or Instagram, you see some pretty cool pictures and videos of of her now being in outer space, which is amazing. So very inspirational to hear her story or read her story here. And uh, I, I continued to look her up afterwards to see what she's been up to. And uh, as I mentioned, she's currently in outer space, which is so cool, very cool. Um, there was also a one of the shorter profiles was on Melody Essani, who actually I knew growing up, so I didn't know when I was getting the book that she'd be in this book. But she has done incredible work as a designer, um, designing for, I think, Nike earlier, but also Reebok and doing very big things in the world of fashion and design. And her story was in here. So that was cool to read about someone that I had known in childhood and still know. But um, to hear her story shared here was pretty cool. Also, Mariam Mirzakhani, who you might know, uh, she tragically passed away in 2017 at the very young age of, I believe, 39 or 40. But she was a, uh, a genius in the field of mathematics, and she won the Fields Medal, which is the highest prize in mathematics, and actually the only woman and the only Iranian to have won that award, which in some ways is like the, the Nobel Prize of math, an incredible award. Sadly, she died at a very young age, but we see her inspirational story as well. And so uh, also in the story of Jasmine Mokbeli, there was a very sweet moment that she shared that when she was finally um, brought on to NASA's team and she went on stage in 2017, she says she heard someone whisper a young girl to her own mom saying, look, mommies can be astronauts too. And I thought that was very sweet. But she realized at that moment that, of course, she was doing it for herself, but also uh, to inspire other women and young girls that, yes, anyone could be an astronaut. It's just not a male thing, or uh, for some people, anyone can go ahead and do that. Uh, as I read the book, it came out in 2021, which is interesting timing when we consider in 2022, September, that's when there was the, the killing of Masa Amini, and we saw a huge um, swelling of you know response from the Iranian people. And, of course, it's not that anything new happened to a degree because these types of the gender apartheid that continues to go on has been going on for four-plus decades, and the people being jailed and harassed and even killed is not something new. I, I think what we witnessed was um, the killing of Maso Amini was like a match that ignited the fuel of pain and anger uh, from the injustice that had been going on for decades. In some ways, not exactly the same, but similar to what we witnessed in the United States with the killing of George Floyd, where it was not that the treatment of black Americans um, was something that was good up until that time, and there was that incident. It had been going on also actually for more than decades, for centuries in the United States. And we also know that um, experiences of the black community from law enforcement had been going on for decades. It just hadn't been documented as much as it has been. And actually, the, I was talking to someone recently about this, that the case of George Floyd, had it not been videotaped, we likely would never have heard his name or heard his story because it would have just been um, just uh, another incident where 
uh, someone died, but it was their own fault, not realizing that he was actually killed at the hands of the police. So as we saw in 2020, there was a response by um, the American community, even around the world, there was support. Uh, wasn't to something new, but it was a kind of a match that ignited the the fuel that was already present in the country. Similarly, we saw with Maso Amini that this had been going on for decades, but this served as a pivotal moment that ignited a response that turned into a movement, which we are hopeful will turn into a revolution at some point. And so I bring this up because I, I did enjoy the book, I think, because it came out before this Response. I th- I'm sure if it was released this year, it might have had a different tone. But I felt, this is my own personal opinion, that a few of the moments where the government was brought up, it was, somebody said that they do these oppressive things for sure. There was one part that particularly stood out to me about mandatory headjob and uh, man- wearing a headscarf, which is, of course, very um, relevant because that's what Maso, I mean, he was killed for, for having an improper headscarf. Um, and in that part, there was a way that there was a neutrality of that I felt in the, the way it was presented that, you know, we can't just say it's inappropriate to have these kinds of laws, essentially saying that something I do agree with that we can't also say you can't wear a hijab or a headscarf. I don't think that's okay. I think any individual should have the freedom to wear what they feel is appropriate for them. So we shouldn't say you can't wear it, but we definitely should not say you have to wear it. And it's mandatory, which we're seeing now. And really, any time we have a law that makes it so that certain individuals can't do something that others can, that's always problematic. And so that's something that we're seeing in Iran, which is why we talk about a gender apartheid, is that there's not equal laws for um, men and women in Iran, that we don't see that there's equality there whatsoever. And so that's what we're talking about. So that section, I felt that Likely, it would have been written differently if it was written maybe a year or two later. Uh, and I kind of had like a response um, to that. So just that was something I met, noticed and was just paying attention to the rest of the book. But she did share how so often these women with these incredible stories, a lot of the adversity, adversity that they faced was that they had to leave Iran um, to, to, to again be successful. There was the story of a female uh chess champion who also had issues where she was not allowed to uh, be a part of the team because of how she was showing her hair. So Dorsa Derakhshani um, and her story of how she then actually even left Iran. She was on the Iranian team and they were very proud of her, but it became this whole controversy and she eventually left and competed elsewhere. And, you know, all of that happened. So we can see that it was very clear. She pointed out that these Iranian women were held back by being in Iran, and uh, almost all of them left to uh, become the successes that they became because of those restrictions of what they faced in their home country. So, as I mentioned, it's a book that is geared towards young adults and younger women, uh, but I think it's, it could be interesting for anyone to read to see successful stories of individuals uh, who are Iranian women who have roots in Iran who have become successful in variety of fields and disciplines. So that is the book Roots in Iran, Stories of Visionary Women by Yasmin Mahdavi. Uh, I have a few minutes before the break. I actually wanted to talk about you know, something you might see in the news. I saw it uh, as a sports fan, um, but also just a fan of what's going on. You might have seen that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is in Iran. 
And so Cristiano Ronaldo is an incredibly well-known, I think he might be the most followed athlete or most followed person on different social media. And he's currently in Iran and has created a great commotion. Um, and he's playing against Purse Police tomorrow, Tuesday, in the AFC Champions League. It's the Asians Champions League. And so I know some people have said, oh, the timing is very convenient that this is He's arriving, you know, a day or two after the anniversary of Maso Amini's killing, which we knew could create a lot of um, movement and tumult in the country. Now, my understanding, I, the way I see it, I don't know if there's some conspiracy of the timing because I looked into it a bit. The draw for this to happen was on August 24th, I believe. And so Al Nasir, which is the team that Cristiano Ronaldo is on, matched with Purse Police amongst a few other teams. And there could have been something where they made the game this date instead of next week or in a few weeks. That I'm not sure. But what is it sad to see is there's these pictures circulating of Cristiano Ronaldo with, you know, Iranian officials, and it seems like they're giving him a Persian carpet or something, uh, and, and, you know, he's taking pictures with them. And this is another incident of what we sometimes refer to as sports washing. So it's um, sports being used to either promote a positive image or distract away from negative image or things like human rights violations. We're also seeing that in, in Saudi Arabia as well with what they're doing with their soccer league and other sports. So it was a bit heartbreaking for me to to see that. Um, I think these things are always complicated. I saw a lot of people talking negatively about him, that he shouldn't do what he's doing or meet with the government officials. I mean, there's always a lot of things going behind the scenes and making it a little bit complicated to know what exactly, um, you know, are the circumstances of these types of meetings. He's in a foreign country, you know, safety and all these issues come up. But what I think is also very relevant, I just read this book about uh, Iranian women, which is that he'll be playing in, I think, in the Azadi Stadium tomorrow in Tehran, but women won't be allowed in that stadium. And so when we talk about gender apartheid, it's not that sports is the most important thing or uh, being at a game is the most important thing, but it just shows that we're treating some of our citizens not equally to the rest of the citizens, and that's not okay. And of course, this also shows up, as I was saying, sports is just one very small, it's just an indicator, but of how women are treated still as second-class citizens in their own country when it comes to a variety of opportunities. And of course, wearing mandatory hijab and how they are policed by the quote-unquote morality police. So um, I actually plan to watch the game or watch it later on. Just to, I'm curious to see what the reaction and response would be. I would, I'm not expecting, but I wish he would do something, you know, make some kind of a symbol. But I get that he's in a foreign country that can feel unsafe. So I also... Uh, and mindful mindful of those expectations when something like that is going on. But just wanted to talk about it because I've seen it in the news. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, it's unfortunate if this brings any positive light to the government or they use this in some ways to, again, use sports washing to clean their own image up when what they're doing is completely unacceptable. All right, that brings us to our first commercial break. After the break, I'll be joined by our special guest, Raha Dixon. Let's go to the commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. As I mentioned before the break tonight, I am joined by 
a very special guest and also a special friend. Raha Dixon is the Chief Executive Officer of Taylor Here, a company of tailors that collaborates with luxury brands to ensure their looks fit their A-list clients perfectly. With a law, journalism, and fashion background, Raha is passionate about creating content that receives worldwide acclaim. She has worked as an editor, writer, and an on-air reporter for various media outlets covering music, fashion, entertainment, and pop culture. She's also interviewed celebrities and influencers like Rihanna, Zac Efron, and Angelina Jolie. Raha is the daughter of Nana's Hatami, I'm saying it right. Yeah, that's perfect. A visionary designer who has worked with world-renowned brands such as Valentino, Prada, and Yves Saint Laurent. Raha advocates for gender equality and justice, especially for women in Iran who face persecution and discrimination. She supports the Our Story is One campaign, which honors the 40th anniversary of the execution of 10 Baha'i women in Shiraz, Iran, who were hanged for their faith. Through Taylor here and in collaboration with Avinity, she helped launch an exclusive shirt collection that pays tribute to the 10 Baha'i women and their unwavering spirit for the benefit of the Persia Educational Foundation and the Iran Human Rights Documentation Center. She hopes this collaboration will raise awareness and inspire action for the cause of gender equality and justice worldwide. Raha, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you, Farid. It's so nice to be here. Yes, it's very nice to be here. And actually, we're both wearing we uh, are. the t-shirts. Mine is fit, fitting me a little bit snug, but I, I really <laughs> like great. it. Um, but I, we, that's what we're actually here to talk about tonight yeah. is this project that you have started um, for with in collaboration with uh, the fashion label Avinity. Thank you. To uh, bring awareness to these 10 women who were killed for their faith yeah. uh, 40 years ago. And also, as you'll add, you know, share with us, there's a, there's a personal connection mm. for you. But yeah, just um, first, I want to hear from you. What was, you know, what inspired this idea? Yeah. What got you to, to make this project? You know, this, these 10 women who were killed, most of them were in their 20s. I was six when I heard this news. And as mm-hmm. a six-year-old, you don't really know much about death anyway. Mm-hmm. But then the idea that someone who's maybe 10 years older than you got killed because they put on a children's class was just so beyond belief for me. And two of the women I'm related to, one of them mm. is my father's first cousin, Roya Ishrari, and one of them was her mother, uh, Ezzat, John Ami Ishrari, who's my dad's aunt. So she was married to Enayat, who is my grandmother's brother. I know this all sounds kind of far, but no. you know, it's my dad's mom uh, and her brother, his wife, and their daughter was killed uh, over the course of two days mm. 40 years ago, and they were hung to death in a very public situation with people watching. Um, and so really their only crime was believing in gender equality, was believing in the unity of mankind and uh, for being members of the Baha'i faith. But really it's not anything new as you know and you were previously Mm -hmm. sharing that when you believe in gender equality in iran you're going to get punished unfortunately and so they were imprisoned for 40 days no visitors allowed no one had any clue what was happening to them and after seven months of being tortured and interrogated in such an awful way and being beaten and you know doing things like um hitting the soles of their feet, Mm -hmm. things that you just 
see in movies and you don't think it really happens. It happened and it happened not so long ago. And then, of course, again, 40 years later, for not covering, you know, her her head correctly, Maso Amini gets arrested and then beaten and then dies for the very same thing, believing in the fact that she can choose to show her hair if she wants. Um, You know, 40 years ago, these 10 women were arrested mainly for putting on classes for youth and providing marriage counseling to, you know, their peers. And that just wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned um, one of them being roughly 10 years older than you at the time. Uh, yes. Mona Mahmoud Najad. She was right. just 17 years old. She was 17 yeah. years old and she had a children's class and that's why they arrested her. And I just think about when I was 17. I don't know if you think about when you were 17. I I wouldn't even be able to stomach mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But to be relentlessly interrogated, beat and told all you have to say is I am not a member of this faith and I believe everything you're telling me and we will let you go home. And she didn't do that at 17. And and she took everything they gave her. And in the end, she was so concerned for them because what they were doing was so wrong that she was praying for them. Hmm. That I know what, what what's going to come of you once you leave this earth. You're not going to be happy because of these choices you made. I'm praying for you so you will be able to handle that suffering. Hmm. What? Yeah. So wise and beyond your years. Yeah. And these are the people we're celebrating. Mm. And Mona's right here on the T-shirt. Her yes. beautiful 17-year-old face. And of course, we're on the air so people can't see that you're, the shirt. <laughs> Sorry, no, I no, just... no, but you're, I mean, you're making it clear. The shirt has the pictures of these yes. 10 women with their names and then also the age they were when they were yes. killed. Many of them in their 20s uh, or Mona was the youngest one at 17. That's right. Um, you know, I remember when you shared a bit about this story and how... Mm. Although you were so young, you were heartbroken and, know. Uh, you know, you shared a very, it's heartbreaking, but sweet story of how you were, <laughs> you wanted to do something about it, but you were, you know, there, you I don't sure know what did. to do. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you can share that story of a six-year-old um, yes. marching. Yeah. I mean, I remember, so my grandmother was living with us at the time and we heard, we got a call at 6 a.m. Mm. She heard that her brother was killed. And then we drove to, you know, his son's house who was living not so far from us in Texas at the time. And then by the time we got there, she received a call that his wife and daughter had been killed and she suffered a mini stroke. And we had to handle that. This enraged me. I couldn't believe that people could just be killed for nothing. So I said, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to march on the streets with a big sign Hmm. by myself. And my parents were like, you cannot do that. This is (laughs) 1983. And where were you living at that time? Houston, Texas. We are not doing that, Raha. And so I said, well, I'm going to do it in my house. So I made a sign (laughs) and I was marching around the house as a six-year-old and really at the top of my lungs screaming, please stop killing these people. And I, for some Hmm. reason, I felt like if I said it loud, they could hear me Hmm. or something could hear me. And would be able to do something in my little six-year-old brain. Um, But the other thing that was happening at the time, my brother had just been born. And my mom had given birth maybe a few months before that. So she was breastfeeding. And she took my grandma to the doctor. And the doctor said to her, she suffered a mini stroke. And this is purely from fear and anxiety that that she has Mm -hmm. no idea what's going to come next. If you don't help her to lose 
something like 40 pounds immediately, she's going to have another stroke, no question. And we have no idea how if it's going to be fatal or not. So my mom says to the doctor, can you do me a favor and tell her that I'm the one that needs to lose weight and she needs to help me do that? Because I think if you do that, then she'll she'll feel like she's helping someone and she'll hmm. go to action. So, of course, they did that. She says to, to my grandmother, you know, I told them about you. And then the doctor looked at me and said, whoa, hmm. you need to lose weight. <laughs> uh, you need to go on a diet and have kadu au paz, which is like squash cooked with boiled water, which is not very tasty without oil, lemon or salt. <laughs> um, and so immediately my grandma forgets everything that's happening and says, I'm going to help you do that. Mm. So she cooked no salt, no oil, no nothing. And of course, my mother's breastfeeding, so she really did need the calories. So she used to quietly like go into the <laughs> fridge at midnight and eat food so that my grandmother wouldn't see. So my grandmother lost the 40 pounds, but my mother yeah. lost almost nothing. Yeah. yeah, for good reason that she was feeding <laughs> for, someone, she herself was at someone else. But yeah, but it was just such a beautiful and really speaks to that generation and how when someone else needed something, yeah. they would drop everything and do it. And it was the same spirit of her brother who was in prison and the wife and the daughter. They were all like that. Mm. You know, you, you spoke about that six-year-old you and how, yeah. oh, you're, you know, thought maybe if you say it loud enough, it makes, you know, yeah. someone will hear it. And maybe they likely did not hear that, but people are going to hear what you're doing now. So your voice is still being heard, right? You're <laughs> making you. sure your voice is heard. And this is something I've talked about since last year. I mean, other times too, especially yeah. with what's been happening in Iran, that we can do a lot more than we think. Totally. And sometimes it's in creative ways or not the most straightforward of ways to do something that brings awareness yeah. to people who have suffered, who are continuing yeah. to suffer and that something needs to change. So I'm sure that six-year-old you would be very proud of you for <laughs> oh. what you're doing now that you've created this project to bring awareness to yeah. your family members and others who were killed at that time. And again, it brings light to not just these 10 individuals who deserve a lot of attention and recognition, right. but everyone else who has suffered and continues to suffer. 100%. And anyone who would like to uh, purchase one, you can go to avinity.co, A-V-I-N-I-T-I.co, not com, co. Yes, dot com. Um, and the first t-shirt there you'll see is the one um, that you can purchase. But it's really... What really bothers me about this is that there's absolutely no recourse. There's no legal system that can help even a broken one. Like there's absolutely nothing. When these people were killed, these women were killed, their family members begged to go see their bodies, just to see the bodies because they mm -hmm. were told, you're not going to get to have a burial. You're not going to get the body. We're going to keep the body. We're going to handle the body. And, the, and so just to see a glimpse of a dead body of their mother or their sister is is what they, they begged for. No legal counsel, no burial, no funeral. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have a memorial. Are you kidding? They would arrest everyone who was at the memorial. And it's the same for Massa. I mean, and many others like her. It, there's a killing and there's an injustice and there's absolutely nothing you can do. There's no court mm -hmm. that's going to listen. Well, the, the, the law is correct right that's the, that's the unfortunate thing which is why you know people want a revolution is the people in power yeah. who are creating law and justice are doing it in such an unfair unfair way I've, yeah. I've heard stories of just even recently where people their loved ones have died or been killed or something has happened and 
they either don't, they say you definitely can't see the body yeah. or they say, well, you will charge you or if you want like kind of a bribe, well, then we'll give you access or something. You know, there's all these <sighs> things that are still happening to this day, which is, you know, heartbreaking and what we're bringing attention yeah. to. And um, I do want to mention, because you mentioned the shirts, yes, uh, vinity.co. Yes. yes, thank you. But also to, to bring awareness to, you know, the money go towards two very important yes. organizations that are relevant when we talk about this fight for justice in Iran. And maybe you could talk about yes, that. Yes, absolutely. The Persia Education Foundation, uh, per, sorry, Persia Educational Foundation, and they provide scholarships for uh, Iranians outside of Iran. And they're actually just putting together their U.S. arm. They're UK-based, but they're starting in the U.S., which is really exciting. Cool. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of you know young youth leave Iran with the hopes of coming to America, starting a new life, which is really difficult. And, you know, schooling here is not cheap. So they're helping people get an education when they finally are able to get out of the country and come. Yeah. And then the other uh, charity is the Iran Human Rights Documentation Center. And they document all the injustices that occur in Iran. So if there's somewhere where it says this happened and this is what we know about it. And it's just a it's a huge resource to help keep them accountable as yeah. you said yeah I, I think um gisunia who i had on the show last year correct she's an attorney and she does a lot when it comes to bringing awareness to what's happening in iran and, and yeah. taking action and i remember her speaking on this and we were talking about, i couldn't remember if she worked there she definitely knows mentioned this but that the iran human rights documentation center yeah it's a very important resource to very. keep track of and then to keep accountable uh, the government yeah. of Iran for the human rights violations that unfortunately are happening on a, a daily basis. Right, exactly. And so that's important. And so I think it's wonderful that you are, um, all the all Thank the you. money that's raised goes towards these Yes, all the profits raised goes towards these organizations. We really want to support them as much yes. as we can. And this was the only way I could think of, you know, because I'm in this fashion world and, you know, one of my friends, Tahira Danesh, said, hey, why don't you design a T-shirt? And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why don't I do that? Um, and I was just thinking about it. And then I remembered one of my friends is starting a line and it's called Avinity. And he offered to, you know, allow us to use his website. So it all just organically happened, which is another sign that it's right, you know? Well, it, it yeah, I would say it's another sign that it's right. But I think I don't want to maybe you were doing it with humility, like undermine that you had to take some action. And I say that so anyone sure. listening, myself included, you know, thinking of what can I do? Because yeah, yeah it's organic, but you had to kind of set, you know, you had to plant the seed to set it in motion for totally. someone to grow from it. So you took those steps and, you know, put it out there and then people reached out and then you made something. And I, so I hope people will <laughs> keep that in mind that, okay, what can I do? Yeah. doesn't mean you have to design a t-shirt. You can, very cool idea. And I think that's great. But what is it that, you know, you have as far as your resources, talents, abilities that you can bring awareness to yeah. uh, what's happening in Iran and the injustices that are happening there. I've heard lots of great stories of people that have so created many. different campaigns and things that um, yeah. you know are really important. And so after the break, I'll continue the discussion with Rafa right. Dixon. Again, you can go to uh, avinity.co, that's A-V-I-N-I-T-I dot C-O to order your own t-shirt. Uh, we'll, we'll have more after the break. back again my guest tonight is Raha Dixon and she's sharing uh, the story of her new project collaboration with Avinity um, and I some people with the spelling it's A-V-I-N-I-T-I dot C-O um, and creating these t-shirts to 
remember these 10 women who were killed in Iran 40 years ago just for their um, faith, religious belief. And we're seeing in Iran people, uh, you know, you sent me an article actually, which I thought was quite fascinating yeah. about seeing, you know, their Baha'is and there's other religious minorities that have been persecuted, mm-hmm. but also um, Masa, I mean, he was Kurdish and the Kurdish Correct. as long uh, along with other minority groups in Iran have been heavily persecuted throughout um, these last 44 years and continuing on to the present day. And of course, it's not just certain groups. All people have been subject to the injustices there, but some groups have been particularly targeted in different times and in different ways. But um, one of the things we talked about during the break, which I think I mentioned about the shirt, mm-hmm. but you've also shared that, you know, we're talking about how it's so important to remember we hear 10 people killed or this many people right. killed. And it's easy for that to turn into a statistic and a number. But right. that's why it's so important, the pictures and the stories. Yeah. And you were saying there's a website, I think you were saying that yes. has the stories of so these women. So my cousin Sheila Ishrari, well, I call her my cousin, but really her father is my father's first cousin. And her father uh, is the son of Enayat and Ezat. So mm. she's the granddaughter of this, these beautiful, this beautiful couple who were executed. She created a website for all the cousins, uh, the sorry, the siblings. So there's Vahid, Nahid, and Rosita, who's still in Iran, and Saeed. Um, they're the kids that remained when their their mother, father, and their sister were executed. So she created this website, orangeblossomdreams.com, for the siblings to sort of all the stories they had told over time. They felt like we're getting old. We don't know how to put this somewhere where it'll live on. So she created a beautiful website with pictures and stories Mm. and anecdotes. And you can actually, if you know them or know someone who knows them, you can actually press a button and send your story to them. And they can publish that there too. And I just think that's so great because some of the things she says, like Enayat, um, he kept a picture of Sheila and Arash, his two grandkids at the time, on his pillow next to his face Mm. when he was in prison. And, you know, she said that just broke me when when I read that and Rosie actually got engaged while her parents were in prison and her sister was in prison and she went to visit them and she went to visit her mom and sister to tell them I just found out that dad was executed and her sister says wait I see a ring on your finger show us your beautiful ring oh my Mm. goodness you're engaged and she has this joyful and Rosita you know you read in the website she says I don't understand this steadfastness how were they so strong? How were they mm. so happy? I couldn't stomach it. But they it really gives you a sense that there's so much pain and so much anguish for the people that are left behind and for their mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. and perhaps even their kids' kids. I mean, now we have a lot of help and mental health has become, you know, something that it's not doesn't have a stigma attached to it anymore and we can get help when we need it. But at that time, it really wasn't a thing. No one really even knew what trauma was if it hit you in the face. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad used to say when he was five, he remembers an incident where bricks were being thrown in the house at him and and one of them passed his head and he thought, oh, I could have just died. And that's at five. Mm. You know, that kind of impact. And it doesn't leave you unless you... Even if you get help, it's something that you just live with and cope with and find ways to manage, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think what you said is so important. Each person that gets killed, all these 10 women, 
their mothers, their fathers. They had to go to prison and look through a glass. I mean, I'm using my hands. Nobody can even see me. But they had to speak through a glass window to speak to their relatives. And then they didn't know if this was going to be the last time they were going to see them mm. or not. And this still happens today. I yeah. mean, Massa Amini was visiting a family member in Iran. And nobody had any clue that she was going to be taken, then beaten. And then they just thought, oh, we'll see her. And they said they're going to see her in an hour, I think. And next thing they know, she's gone. Yeah, I think one of the things she said was like, I don't have anyone here. Some, I forgot, I mean, Farsi. Yeah. And then people have written how like now you have everyone, you know, everyone is your brother and your sister uh, having supporting you, having yeah. your back. But I think what you shared was even extending what I said about let's not forget these individuals, mm-hmm. not lose them the statistics. But as you said, you know, I'm reminded of... Um, Kevin Hines, like he mm-hmm. he was on the show years ago. He jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge. He survived. Thankfully. Wow! But he worked on a documentary mm. um, called The Ripple Effect, which was talking about like which mm. each suicide, sadly, like there's a ripple effect. It's oh. not, of course, the tragedy of losing that life, yeah. but the ones you know the ripple effect that happens. And as you're saying, you have this type of trauma, um, even with help. I mean, you know, maybe it can make it less bad, but it's still. Right so intense and we you know even we see things like intergenerational trauma how these things totally, get passed down totally. um because it's just you know it has such a huge impact and so you're yeah. right it's not and that's and that's something i feel when i've talked to people who especially if they've been to mm. iran everyone has yeah. even if they just visited has a store has stories of either something they directly faced you know with the morality wow. police or yeah. you know surrounding types of apparatus or family members friends that have experienced something horrific yeah. and everyone has a story so they're all impacted and it, it just is not something that just affects a select few no, people but as you mentioned that ripple effect of people who have been right. impacted by what's happened here um, and continues to happen is really heartbreaking. It's terrifying. I mean, I know all the details of this particular story. Yeah. And so Rosita was 17. She was the only sibling that was in Iran alone at the time. She got engaged and her mother said to her, I'm so happy you're engaged because mm. now I know you're going to be safe and you're not going to be alone. That was the big fear. But they took her home. She did. She was the heir to the home for, of her parents, but the house was seized. She didn't get it. She didn't even get a trial to be able to say, hey, this is this belongs to me. Uh, you know, you just think about that. You're 17. You lose your house. You lose your family. You have this one person that you're marrying and no support to set up your life. I mean, that's mm. that's so hard. I mean, with all the support in the world, setting up a life is hard. But to do it surrounded by fear and, you know, her and her husband have been in prison many times. They just kind of come and collect them just to mess with them and then let them go back home. And this happens to so many people, but it's Mm -hmm. just, there's so much that gets impacted. They have kids and now their kids have kids. And so there's no fun, let's do this with our grandma and grandpa. There's none Mm -hmm. of that. You miss out on on a huge chunk of life. And similar to what you were saying about suicide, you know, I, I heard about a teen suicide recently and I just thought to myself, how does that mother pack up that bedroom? Every year for the rest of her life, she has to face the reality that her her child is gone. And what would have happened in this year? And what would have happened in that year? And every wedding you go to, and every graduation you go to, it's like it doesn't ever leave you. Mm -hmm. So I'm thrilled to just do a tiny, tiny little thing 
that we can remember these people, their families, and the people that came after them to just say, we remember you and we're going to support in some kind of way. Yeah. And it's all of us doing, you know, you, you said it was tiny, but our part, whatever it is. And yeah. together, you know, um, I mentioned this Friday because, you know, the protests on Saturday, you know, and again, everyone, we can do different types of things that make an impact. But each yeah. each small step might feel like it's not doing much, but everyone together doing something and doing their responsibility, whatever that means yeah. to them. That's what really we, we all want to do. And I think that's it's wonderful that you took this upon yourself to, to do this. And, you know, another um, issue we talked about earlier today off the air, or I mean yesterday, mm-hmm. I think it was, but about the, you know, you said morale, oh, the issues of morality yes. is brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. And we were saying how, you know, they say it's, oh, you know, these people were doing something immoral or right. it was attacking, it was, you know, against the people or the will of the people or whatever. They have these fancy ways of basically saying nothing of what right. the people are accused of crimes of, but really it's just they're trying to take, they're afraid of losing their power, right? right. And so we see these people who have influence often in a very positive way, right. like you're saying, teaching classes for yeah. children. Other people have done wonderful things that they then yeah. get arrested for because the whole thing is the fear of losing power not the fear of you know not for doing good unfortunately so you're saying about the legal system you know the legal system is not about justice it's about power it's 100 percent about power and the irony is that i think what they are resisting will persist i think that fear that they will lose power of course it's going to happen because you're acting in such a inhumane way Mm -hmm. that the entire world has now you know the children human rights act came about because of what happened to these 10 women in in the 80s and eventually i really do have hope that they're not going to last because that kind of the world is just not going to allow it at some point enough will be enough and so who did that they did what if they could have embraced anyone with a different view? What if they could have just lovingly said, you know what, we prefer that you wear this hijab, but if you choose not to, that's okay. What a powerful, huge thing that would be. Imagine if that happened. Of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm totally with you, like, <laughs> if that would happen. But I think it's basically that's what their power is based on 100%. right unfortunately power is based on controlling yeah. and creating fear and so if you give people if you yeah. take that fear away or you take away that control right. you fear losing control so yeah it's unfortunately the whole system is based on um hurting the people that you're supposed to be serving and this totally. is something we we see and you know you know it happens around the world or in different ways it happens we're seeing it so much in iran but mm. the people i would you know the people who have power you should seek power Unfortunately, people that seek power usually want it for themselves rather right. than power to serve or right. power as a responsibility. Just like a teacher should have some power in the classroom in the sense that they have authority, right. but that power should be to serve the students mm-hmm. and what's best for them, not 100%. give me attention, not give me benefits. And right. so what we're seeing in Iran, I think, is that times a thousand where it's just, yeah. it's only about holding on to the power because, of course, that gives them control, gives them the money, give them all the things that they want. Yeah. And it's not about the people. And as you said, eventually that is going to dry up and the people you know overcome that but we we don't know when i'm i'm cautiously optimistic me too with you that i'm hopeful for a change i haven't lost hope i saw an article recently mm. and i heard there was some controversy around it but because I, I think it was about hope and maybe when right. to give up hope with what's happening in iran and i think oh. that was but but it seems that that might have been you know i don't want to get into the details right. of it because i don't know enough research to talk right. about that yeah. but uh, i hope we don't lose hope you know i know because i, I think we will 
yeah, we need to not give up on what's happening uh, for the people there. And that's, you know, I think what you're doing is, as you said, doing your part of it. And we all have to continue to do our part, yeah. um, supporting whatever ways, bringing attention. You know, it's been a year since mm-hmm. Masa Amini, and I know it's been 44 years since this revolution. Sure. And I know people sometimes will lose hope because they think, well, it's been a year, nothing happened. But, right. um, you know, uh, something I try to remember is when we say the 1979 revolution, mm-hmm. it didn't happen just in 1979. No. Things were building up for years and even Correct. certain types of factors for decades or even longer when you look at Iran's Correct. history. So yeah. we don't want to be, you know, um, lose motivation because of that, that we think, well, nothing's right. happened. Nothing's happened yet or nothing that we see. You know, there's a, a nice quote about revolutions that revolutions seem impossible until mm. they seem inevitable, which is like, it seems like it's never going to happen. Yes. And then one day it's like, well, how could it not? And yeah. it's not clear what, what gets gets there. But I just hope people, of course, I'm talking to people outside of Iran. Right. I can never speak on behalf <laughs> of anyone inside of Iran, but I hope we'll continue to do what we can to Absolutely. support uh, our sisters and brothers there. I mean, the one thing I know about the people in Iran is that they're all coming together like the differences that may have existed between the Kurdish community and this community and that well that's all gone they're all standing together in, in solidarity and saying our story is one which is essentially the name of this campaign but also people are my death is better than my life I'm gonna go out there I'd rather get a bullet mm-hmm. than continue living like this and then enough people do that then there's no yeah. one left. So, well, you know, what are you going to do with your power when nobody's left? Well, and what you know, you know, you're bringing attention to these ten women who who did that, and people, yeah. the incredible courage of the people in Iran, and what they've continued to do and show is is remarkable, and something that uh, you can never know what you would do in uh, if you're in another situation. But I can't imagine having the courage of these individuals, and Me so, um, uh, yeah, we are very appreciative of them, and that's why I can never speak on what they can or should or shouldn't right. do because it's so I impossible. I hope I didn't do that. No, Did no, I you didn't. Okay. Um, because it's so, you know, Ooh. it's impossible to know what it would be like yeah. uh, there. But coming back just to, to wrap things up because we're at the end of our time for tonight, um, I hope everyone will do whatever they can to bring yes. attention, to do it in their own way. There's so many ways and ways that we haven't thought of. Um, but so thank you to you, Raha, for what thank you're you. doing with Avinity. Again, I A V I N I T I dot C O. Hope you. you'll pick up your t shirts there and support this great cause. Uh, a big thank you to you for doing that, but also for joining me on the show tonight. It's been a pleasure. I love talking to you anyway. We'll so. have you back soon. Thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you. All right. A uh, big thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. Yes. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fayyad Lokwi, Zan Zendegi Azati.